Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those amazing things that uh, you know the nutritionists will tell you that pearled barley provides more nutrition than than brown rice. Uh, you know things like the beta glucan that are woven right through the barley kernel and stuff like that. So even when it's pearled, it's got a lot of soluble fiber. It's good for digestion, good for you know the heart health aspects and things like that. Welcome to the Barley Bin. Sass Barley's goal is to bring you right inside the Barley Bin. Not a hopper bin or bin within floor augers. The kind, of the, the kind you spend a bit of time shoveling, getting itchy, but it's worth it for the pint or steak at the end, or a golden nugget you sometimes find uncovering itchy topics. I'm your host, Mitchell Jap. I'm here for Season 2, Episode 1, to talk with Keith Armstrong, head brewer at Great Western Brewing. I first heard Keith on the Master Brewers podcast and enjoyed his infectious enthusiasm for barley. We invited Keith to come and talk to the South Barley Board. We had a great discussion, which included some challenges with connecting consumers with barley. And so Keith is here today to talk about just that. Welcome, Keith. Glad to be here. Well, and I should say for any of our listeners, if there's any resources that come up during our conversation here today, we'll uh, include links to those in the show notes page. So don't rush to write them down. We can just uh, have a look at them uh, from the show notes. So Keith, in the lead up to this podcast, you shared an infographic with me that was a little weak on the information side. So it was an infographic that starts with wheat makes beer, corn makes whiskey, grapes make wine, and potatoes make vodka, and uh, ends with they can't get drunk without farmers. Well, it's nice to have the support for farmers, but it's a little bit off on the beer side. So how often are you seeing this type of misinformation? I, I think um, you see a lot of it, and and I think uh, in in my decades of brewing, I think we see it more now than we did previously. And I've seen it even with uh, people that uh, they're on the internet somewhere, they profess themselves to be beer geeks, or even a lot of the marketing folk, uh, you know, working with breweries big and small, they get confused and and they really don't know what barley is, uh, and. For sure, they, you know, when it comes to the idea of malt, they don't know what the process of malting is. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's a big issue and a big opportunity uh, right across the board. You know, awareness can definitely improve. And, uh, and you know, it's my feeling and my sense that uh, the awareness about barley through foodstuffs can play a big role in getting people more comfortable with the idea of what barley is, more respectful for what barley and malted barley is, and more respectful for beer. So, I mean, um, you know, I, I think it's it's that awareness that can uh, drive consumers to uh, be more uh, um, focused on on reaching for beers that that uh, have barley and malt and and the flavors of barley malt in it and one of the things i I've, i stumbled across uh you know just a couple of years ago you mentioned the master brewers but it was just in that area and somebody mentioned google engram after i'd given that presentation with the master brewers and I went on that and you can see, you know, if you if you go on Google Ngram and put in the words barley and malt, you can see that over the past couple hundred years, there's been a, a huge decline in the use of the word. And if the word's not being used in in print and media in general conversation, uh, you know, it's not surprising that we struggle to connect with uh, consumers and uh, and relate to them. Yeah, for sure. And you know, if, if I'm not as familiar with Google Ngram. I think uh, something I have to look into, but it's uh, 
it's an indication of where it is in culture. And if it's lacking in, in culture, then where, where's the connection come from? Absolutely. And, you know, if they're not aware of barley and they're not respectful of barley, they may vaguely, you know, know of it of their great grandma used to make something with barley or something. Uh, but if they're not aware of the flavor potentials and the, the healthy goodness uh, that halos around barley foods, um, we, we've got an opportunity there. Yeah, yeah. And I know uh, that uh, health label that's there associated with barley, that's tied to so many of the, of the health issues that we see in North America. It, it would, uh, improving barley consumption could, could lead to improvements in, in so many health outcomes. And it's local. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we grow lots of it here in Saskatchewan. So barley's, if not the oldest, one of the oldest crops in the world. But the biggest markets now are for beer and livestock feed. Uh, you've been moving through through Malton into beer. Um, why do you think it's no longer top of mind as a food crop? I think uh, my frustration around that probably goes back uh, quite a ways. You know, um, I can remember uh, going to school, uh, university in Edmonton, and and uh, you know, a, a friend, uh, Ukrainian family that had uh, homesteaded, and you know, they they still didn't have uh, running water when he graduated from university. So, you know, they're pretty uh, down down about his mother no longer used barley in making cabbage rolls and stuff like that because uh, they remembered that barley was something exotic and something the wealthy could afford back in the Ukraine, although the average person couldn't afford it. So when they came uh, to Canada and they found that you could buy rice really cheap, you know, that that's that exotic thing. And I think there's a strange human habit about you know something exotic it must be wonderful it must be good and it's been going on for millennia you know you know anybody who knows much about uh the roman republic before the roman empire i mean you know they ended up importing a lot of their foods from uh, uh across north africa rather than growing it locally and and the rich that were able to uh pay for these things that were being imported uh you know they thought that was wonderful because it showed how special they were so i mean there's that you know if something's exotic draws people in uh, and you've got people now uh they're buying rice from the deserts of california they're buying quinoa from south america rather than locally grown barley and uh you know so that that exotic is part of it the uh, same sort of aspect of that is you know what do the wealthy and the and the people they get um, their voice on in media and that what are they doing so you know it, it seems in my life everybody's gaga about following the trends from Hollywood you know and so all the food shows on on the internet now and on TV and the magazines they talk about what's trendy based upon the advice from somebody from Hollywood that you know quit school in grade three um, you know and it, it you know that that worked for quinoa you know, personally, I think quinoa kind of tastes like sand, but, you know, that's me. And I think, you know, what one of the issues that we've got to be honest about and face up to is that barley's not being presented well. It's not packaged well. Does You know, if you find it on the shelf, the, the quality consistency may not be there. Um, you know, you buy barley and there's everything from a you know, tiny little quinoa sized kernel to a, a fairly plump kernel. And, and that, that inconsistency in a, in a cheap as cheap 
bag that with no branding, you know, th those sort of things, you know, packaging and presentation and quality uh, metrics are, are important to consumers. And so, you know, we can talk about food barley, but if it's not presented well and not attractive for the consumers, then we're going to have a, a hard time winning. And, and, you know, oats, somebody picked up on oats, uh, you know, built the Quaker franchise and everything 150-ish years ago. And, uh, and you know, people were starting to trend away from oats and they brought them back into it. So it shows those things can can happen, but you got to have uh, a means of putting it in front of people with the quality and the promotion and the, and the, the, the presentation that's attractive. And, and to me, even one of the simplest things is, people don't know how to cook barley and they can go on the internet and they can go to various places and they're given bad advice. I mean, barley tends to take up a lot of water. I mean, you know, historically you probably cooked it more like passed in a big bowl of water and you saved that barley water and you made a beverage out of the barley water. Um, but if you're, if you don't want to cook it in, you know, like pasta, you know, it needs more than two water to one barley or you're going to end up with rocks. And so, uh, you know, and people, when they go out and they buy like a pot barley rather than a pearl barley, and it probably needs more like four water to one than, than two to one. And people try it once and it doesn't cook. So yeah, I tried it once. I'm not going back to it because it, it doesn't cook. Yeah. You know, if your attempt fails, you kind of lose that potential consumer. Well, and in, in your comment earlier about the sizing in the barley that we're, we're buying here, um, you've got those, those super small kernels that are like quinoa and up to a very large one well what's the water absorption rate and, and cooking time difference on on those within the same package yeah and so that goes back to you know how we 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 you know if we're going to sell some food barley we got to apply you know some minimum quality standards i mean even even the people that package apples they separate out the apples by size so that they all look fairly similar size when they're on the supermarket shelf um you know these are kind of simple things people have known for a long time well and, and that type of sorting technology is is readily available it's not hard to do and you know when i think about the barley that's growing in saskatchewan we grow almost almost all malt type varieties that are you know by the genetics of them at least designed to have relatively plump kernels and uh, I'm, I'm sure you would uh, recognize it as a brewer that um you know the the product that is coming through is relatively consistent in size. And so where, where is this stuff coming from that's getting onto the store shelves that's so inconsistent? Yeah, it's a good question for sure. Um, and, and talking about the exotic, exoticness of, of foods and how oats has, uh, has really enjoyed a resurgence. You think of all the products that oats is available in, in the granola bars and the, you know, I think there's a, even a larger appetite for oatmeal than, than there was, um, you know, say when I was a kid in, in the eighties, um, you know, I don't remember any desire at all for anybody to eat oatmeal, but it's there now. Oh yeah. It's, it's a, it's a really funny thing. So, uh, you know, I mean, um, if, if my wife's cooking up, uh, blowing up some water, uh, to make a cup of tea in the evening or whatever, she'll just take that boiling water and pour it on some barley and, uh, and, and seal it up and, you know, next day you can cook it in five minutes, right? So there's, you know, um, when, when our kids were still with us and our son decided that he'd have some microwavable uh, oatmeal, 
she could uh, throw uh, <laughs> the, the barley on the stove and have it cooked in, in, in a, a bowl faster than he can microwave it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just that little bit of extra prep at night, hey? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of people boil a bit of water for a coffee or tea or something in the evening. And just... yeah. <laughs> well, I remember you, you, that porridge in my mind was an oats thing, but as I've read more over the years, it seemed like it was maybe as much barley as oats. Yeah, I think historically you can go right around the world. I mean, uh, you know, they, they, they have, uh, um, I think it's something like 17,000 years ago, uh, uh, barley in the caves up in the mountains on the, the island of Sri Lanka. Um, you know, uh, northern Japan, uh, you know, has people been growing barley and eating barley there again for probably a good part of 20,000 years. And, and uh, you know, the, it goes right around the world. You know, Ethiopia has often been uh, promulgated as the, as the home of all barley because there's so many varieties of barley in there. But you know, whether it is or not, uh, you know, it's just part and parcel barley, you know, the, the Tibetan empire, uh, you know, up, up across the Tibetan plateau, you know, they, they existed on barley and it's a key food there now, you know, uh, all around the world it's there. And, you know, it's, it's kind of sad that people come to Canada, uh, from all sorts of different cultures from all sorts of places. And yet, uh, uh, they lose their connection with barley partly because they, you know, if they find it hard to buy here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, in terms of uh, hard to buy, in our earlier discussions, I think with uh, with the Sass Barley Board, you'd mentioned some of the places you've lived. And uh, one of the markets near Toronto where the options of what you can buy for barley are just beyond yeah. uh, beyond counting. Um, it, it's and, funny um, because uh, we we'd, uh, we lived in Newfoundland for five, five and a half years. And, uh, and the Newfoundlanders, you know, cook a lot with barley. And so you you know, the supermarkets, it's, it's very common and plentiful and, and, and things like that. So they've retained some of that barley uh, association there. And, uh, so we, we, we moved there into the Toronto area about oh, seven or eight years ago or something like that, eight, nine years ago. And, uh, and, you know, I, I must admit the mainstream supermarkets were not very common in barley there but there's a lot of delis and and some of the delis are like you know uh we were living in in the uh, uh an older section of of mississauga area and uh there's a there i think there's three or four of them it goes back to like the 1920 era when a family uh from eastern europe uh, had a meat market and it's grown into delis of like 30 40,000 square feet you know um the they've got unbelievable choice in barley but it's all being imported from poland and and ukraine and stuff like that with with translations on, on the packaging to to meet the food codes here you know stickered on and stuff like that but they've got you know different you know fine cracked uh, medium cracked coarse cracked uh, they've got pot pearled hollis barley flour processed barley foods and it's all you know nicely packaged nice nice uh, uh, cartons and then, you know, really nice, nice look. There's an opportunity for us to do some of that here too, I think. So, you know, that, that, that really uh, hit me. And, uh, you know, as I say, uh, you know, uh, there's all sorts of people from right around the globe that, that have 
the history uh, of of uh, cooking with barley and um, it should be not that hard to reconnect people to some of that uh, recipe and, and food technique yeah. Uh, history. Yeah. And, and just having that information available and some decent choices available for people to choose from. And, you know, I think uh, that packaging that you mentioned, um, what it is here to what it is in those uh, deli markets near Toronto um, you know, it's got to be attractive for the consumer to catch their eye. There's a lot of stuff on the store shelves. Yeah, and uh, and we're all prone to something that looks nice and something that looks a bit shabby. Uh, you know, affecting our our choices and our minds. We're 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 all human. Yeah, yeah, and you know, when you think about uh, your your choices as uh, as starch going onto the, your plate for your for supper or lunch, breakfast. Um, you know, bar- barley stands up pretty well. It's got a pretty good nutritional profile. It's not just starch like some options. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those amazing things that uh, you know the nutritionists will tell you that pearled barley provides more nutrition than than brown rice. Uh, you know, things like the beta glucan that are woven right through the barley kernel and stuff like that. So even when it's pearled, it's got a lot of soluble fiber. It's good for digestion, good for, you know, the heart health aspects and things like that. So, um, you know, when you compare that to, uh, um, you know, super heavily pearled white rice and things like that, it's, it's enormously, uh, healthy. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of times, you know, when, when people have had, uh, you know, post when there's been some form of, 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 uh, food shortage and things like that, uh, if you're able to eat even a blend of barley and rice, you can stay healthy. Where if you're eating that that white rice alone, uh, you're gonna you're gonna have health problems. And uh, yeah. you know, during World War II, that was that was uh, uh, very clear with people that were able to to get barley into their uh, diet in uh, large parts of the world. Yeah. And so, knowing what the the limitations are in, bi- in barley here. You know, you've been in Saskatchewan for a bit over a year now. You know what's available in in some of the markets in Canada. Where are you buying your barley from? Well, I think you can, you, you know if if you go to the right store, I guess you can get it. But I, I remember when I was first here, uh, uh, you know, I was, I was talking with uh, our CEO Mike Brennan, and he said, "Hmm," you know, and then he came back a couple of days later. He said, "I've been to three supermarkets and I can't even find barley," <laughs> and, and I said. Said, well, we've been able to find it, but it isn't necessarily, you know, top-notch uh, uh, presentation or anything else. And uh, so, you know, yeah, I think uh, uh, there, there's a great opportunity, you know, uh, a great challenge maybe. But, uh, I, you know, we've, we've been able to, uh, to find it, but you do have to search around and you know you can get it maybe in this store and not in that store. And, uh, you know, but that, that in itself is a little bit sad here and uh yeah yeah here we're you know maybe not the most but uh, a lot of canadian barley is growing right here in saskatchewan for sure yeah we should be able to uh to readily have all sorts of those choices uh, uh available and you know but i think uh you know um it it doesn't turn around on its time you know i mean you know, 150 years ago when they started promoting oats, it didn't turn around overnight. That's for sure. Uh, and, you know, and, and the funny thing is, you know, maybe barley's to the point where so few people know it 
you can introduce it, introduce it uh, uh, as a new food. Yeah, at least a new old. <laughs> so my yeah. observation of, of uh, Saskatchewanians over the last oh, 20, 30 years, uh, you know, my, my own house uh, growing up West Central Saskatchewan, we'd never heard of lentils. Like they, they weren't a crop that was growing here yet. Um, and then they started to get a little bit more traction as a crop to grow. And then, you know, it, it started to weave its way into our diet. And so, you know, we've got this disconnection between barley and food and, you know, initially lentils, it was just an export crop. You send it, send it away and, and somebody else in some other country will eat it. Uh, and it obviously has a, 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 high, a strong demand in some countries where they've, their, their culture is, uh, is built around eating pulse crops like lentils. Um, do you think barley can follow a similar path to where pulse has gotten to in, in Saskatchewan, where it is more woven into our diets? Yeah, I think uh, that's, a, that's a really good point because, you know, sometimes I've often thought that that, that was a form of kind of a reintroduction because, you know, um, I, you know the, the early uh, settlers that came into eastern Canada, I mean, most of them were, were Celtic uh, people out of Brittany and, and Norman people out of Normandy and the seacoasts of, of the France, uh, parts of France. But there's a lot of different types of the pulse crops uh, eaten and, and grown and eaten there. And so, you know, those, uh, even today, uh, lentils are, are big in France, they're big in India, they're, you know, lots of different places. But, um, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe we, we lost some of that connection and, and there's a way of, of uh, uh, reinvigorating that uh, now. And, uh, you know, I think even now a lot of people are probably a little bit confused about what's a pea and what's a bean and what's a lentil and, and, and things like that. Uh, but they know that, you know, the, the rough idea of what the different things are going to kind of cook like and taste like and how they can use it and, and things like that. And, and um, you know, there's, there's certainly been, you know, some widespread uh, aspects of uh, uh, of the health aspects of the pulse crops in general that have been uh, promoted fairly well. And I always think it's it's interesting because you know the pulse crops tend to be pretty good, but you know some of the things that are missing in in uh, the pulse crops are there in barley. So if you cook barley and and uh, and uh, uh, lentils and peas and beans together, you're probably better off if you're just looking at it from a nutrition point of view. And uh, and that, that that's actually something that we came across in, in Newfoundland as well. So it, it had lingered in there for a while too. So maybe maybe it was more a, a, a split pea than a, than a lentil, but the same kind of idea with uh, barley and, and, and them combined. So yeah, I, I really think that, um, you know, it, it takes a, a desire to do something and, but it, you know, the desire has to be built on, on some things and, uh, you know, the awareness we talked about there and the, you know, the support for awareness and how to cook it and what recipes and what you can do with it, um, to get people really interested. But, you know, the things you put forward have to work. And if you tell somebody to put two cups of water with one cup of barley and it comes out like a rock still, uh, we're not going to win. Do you have any uh, resources? Like I'm 
you know, the way you've talked, I'm sure that you don't uh, don't need to go to a recipe book to decide how much water to put with your barley when you're cooking it. But for somebody who hasn't cooked it uh, in a long time or before ever, uh, is there any good resources to go to? Well, I've looked around a fair bit, and I think uh, pretty sure my wife has looked around more. And there's there's a lot of stuff on the internet about it, but you know you can just go through you know, inconsistency after inconsistency after inconsistency. And, you know, that's probably one of the frustrations people have, even if they're interested in, in dealing with, uh, with barley as a, as a uh, part of their diet and, and uh, part of their cooking habits is, you know, they can look these things up and even on, on individual websites, you can see conflicting information. So they must be scratching their heads. So uh, I'm sorry to say that, you know, I, I find it, sad that we can't get clear idea of, of the basics you know uh of of what of, of what it takes to handle the cooking of barley well and stuff like that and i do think again when we talk about opportunities here you know uh, maybe if we can get some engagement through the colleges and universities and really make uh, a go-to reference that is absolutely reliable and and proven through food science that these are the different ways you can handle it and, and cook it and uh, and have success and enjoy it. So, um, yeah, I I think uh, I think it's a bit sad that way. And and also I think people nowadays are you know when when they go especially this past uh, year and a half as people have found out that uh, they can have some fun cooking at home because they they're not allowed to go out anymore. Um, uh, when they when they, they go to look for something, they often, uh, you know, if you have like quote a barley cookbook, it it may not fit the way people think. So they're thinking, okay, well, can I make an Indian style barley or a Mexican style barley or French style barley? Like so, you know, um, they get something a picture in their mind of what what they want to cook, but the recipes maybe have trendy names and descriptions, but don't really uh, link up with the way the consumers may actually be searching for stuff. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, being able to search for keywords, you know, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, a spice or a herb or a, or a culture, a food culture or, or whatever else, uh, you know, th those sort of resources, I think, would really uh, come in handy for the real people that, um that are interested in doing it because I think sometimes the cookbooks come from somebody who is so immersed in something that they don't, they don't catch what real people uh, want. And, you know, I, you know, as a brewer, I know like it's really easy to, to get talking about stuff. Uh, and, and I've, I've, that's part of where this came from, you know, uh, you know, looking back into why we're not connected with Barley anymore, because, the average person has no idea what malt is. So, I mean, you know, I've often, you know, for the past 25 years been saying to marketing people, uh, well, why are you going to say malt there? Because the consumer doesn't know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. And so you get that head, you're in the brewing industry, you know, what, you know, the word malt, even if some of the marketing people may not always know what, uh, what malt is. <laughs> um, but we use it as if everybody should know. No. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of a bad way to fool yourself. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I can't remember if it was your discussion on that Master Brewers podcast or with our board or maybe both uh, talking about the connection that 
consumers at large have between grapes and wine and how well established that is where you know just from the perhaps even as simple as using malt where you could use barley and and maybe the the disconnection between uh, barley and consumers at other levels that we've been talking about uh, so far you know if we connect those better with with beer as as wine has done with grapes um, it's just a, a whole different level of, of discussion, I think. Yeah, I think that, you know, to me, that's that's a really good point because, you know, we're all real people and we get we get our connections and we can envision something. So, I mean, yeah, you know, I don't know how many people have driven by a winery and they've got a bunch of wooden barrels out front and a bunch of stainless steel tanks in behind. And you talk to people oh yeah, they've got all these lovely barrels and stuff like that. What were all the tanks at the back? Oh, oh yeah, there were tanks there. I wonder what those were. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, some of it's just storytelling and some of it's awareness. And I mean, you know, like people see grapes in the supermarket and they've eaten grapes uh, many times. And, they, you know, that's about as close as they need to know to think, you know, grapes just get crushed into uh, into a bottle and magically turn into wine. It's 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 miraculous. And the same with cider. You know, like you know, there's nothing happens between the tree and the, and the bottle that you drink out of. And you know, we we are faced in the brewing industry with something that's a bit different. But you know, uh, we have even more mysterious magical stuff because we're turning dry kernels of barley into liquid gold delight. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's, like that's, that that's magical. I mean, you can imagine thousands of years ago, tens of thousands of years ago, people, uh, you know, finding out that you could actually do this sort of thing and, uh, and turn a dry kernel into a, you know, a, a liquid soluble thing that has bubbles and alcohol. And that's, that's miraculous. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it ended up being, uh, uh, almost a savior throughout uh, much of the Middle Ages when when the water wasn't clean enough to drink. Yeah, yeah. Although you know, I, I do suspect uh, you know the, the most of the brewers found a way to get some decent water. <laughs> they, they weren't, uh, you know, they they were they weren't taking water from the outlet of the Thames River as it flowed into the into the sea in the year sixteen eleven or whatever. Uh, <laughs> But <laughs> good to have a better yeah. starting point. Yeah. So circling back a bit uh, to what you're talking about in the lack of resources for somebody starting into cooking with barley. Um, it seems to me that there's an opportunity to create some of those, uh, some of those resources and have it available for consumers. Yeah, absolutely. I th- you know, and I think it's, it's, um, it's kind of putting your, your head on straight and making sure that you're not just doing it for a, you know, a quick trick, but you actually put your heart and soul in it that you, you want consumers to really be able to feel easy with, uh, uh, with the means of cooking it and what you can do uh, with, with flavors. And I mean, you know, barley is pretty blank slate. It, it'll take up all sorts of herbs and spices and, and flavors and, and, and go well with so many foods. You know, it's, it's absolutely uh, delightful the way you can, you can deal with it. But um, you know, if you're going to reintroduce people and, and invigorate them and energize them, 
you know, we've got to find a way to make the resource. And, uh, and yeah, you can query a lot of stuff, but when you, when you put your, you know, um, uh, the idea of critiquing uh, what's on a website, you pretty quickly find, oh, geez, somebody would go astray if they followed this. And, and um, so, I, I mean, to me, uh, that's, that's the sort of thing where um, we've, we've got to uh, uh, find some way as, as brewers and barley breeders and farmers and everybody else to, uh, uh, to put something that will really reach consumers. And, uh, you know, uh, you know I'd, I'd be happy to help uh, build barley resources uh, for consumers with, uh, with anybody that's got some real interest there. And, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe there is some people in our colleges and universities here that are likely – uh, like to get together and form a bit of a, a support uh, group that way to put put some of these things together. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, I and I think the truth of the matter is, if you did it, you know, um, everybody in the world would look to you as the resource. <laughs> and I think uh, I think we've got a, a number of different potential resources to work with in Saskatchewan between the the university and the Saskatchewan Food Center. Uh, there's a lot of expertise out there on on building recipes and putting, pulling in the necessary information that we need. So uh, I think yeah, working with you, who's you get lots of uh, your own experience and uh, that, and uh, I think it has a real potential to help connect consumers with barley. Be fantastic. How much more complex does it get with barley compared to rice or quinoa or, or even oats? Uh, when you talk about, uh, some of the options that were available. You talked about coarse, medium, fine, cracked groats, uh, pearl, pot, and hullless barley. Um, how much more complex does that introduction to barley get? Well, you know, I think, um, you know, to be realistic, uh, um, the core things are, would, would always be like uh, pot and pearl barley and, and flour. But, you know, when you get, you know, down to really fine recipe things in different parts of the world um how how you get the texture out of dealing with like like a, a cracked uh grain rather than a whole grain in that but you know those those are deep into uh you know the the this the, the specialty food culture i guess uh it may not be your first step in in introducing people to that um but i think um you know i i can remember one time uh um, this is quite a few years ago now, but my wife bought some barley and she tried a dozen different things and it just wouldn't take up the water. And I don't know if it was like a hundred years old on the shelf, but you know, you, you could, you could do anything to it and it, it was just going to stay a rock. And that was, <laughs> uh, you know, one of those, uh, enlightening moments about, well, you know, there may be barley around, but there's not much in the quality uh, reference. And that's where branding comes into play because, you know, if you uh, um, turn your time back, you know, oats and lentils and different things like that, um, you know, uh, coming out of a barrel that had never been emptied, just topped up and stuff like that in some shop uh, in the 1880s or whatever, if it ever got close to the bottom, you probably got some pretty bad oats too. <laughs> Uh, yeah they do tend to sort out a little bit uh, when they're in a container 
No doubt about that. So, you know, I invited you onto the podcast here to talk mostly about food barley and connecting consumers with barley and, you know, the, the idea that um, maybe maybe we can even potentially drive a little bit of beer consumption when, when there's better understanding of where it comes from and the connection to barley because uh, the, the trend on beer is quite different than it is on wine in terms of uh, consumption per capita. Um, but your your own expertise, you're you're a brewer, and um, and you're working with Great Western uh, Brewing in Saskatoon, and so I also wanted to ask you why Canadian barley is is so unique in the malting barley process, or the malting process, not the malting barley process. Sorry, in the malting process. Yeah, I, I think you know we can look right around the world where maltsters and brewers look to Canadian barley as being really reliable and high quality and. Yeah, I think there's a number of things. You know, when I was first in the brewing industry, uh, you know, we we were just at that stage where, uh, you know, the first really viable mainstream two-row malting barley was coming to market here in Canada, Harrington, and and uh, you know, uh, the Canadian uh, barley breeders and farmers led the way with that, and you know, at least some of the uh, the brewers in Canada jumped on the bandwagon really early and I was lucky enough to be with one of those and you know I can remember the the taste panels where we were you know superbly happy with the uh, quality improvement that we saw with the two row over the traditional six row and uh, uh, you know so you know we you know the Canadian industry I guess all aspects of it helped really lead that forward and I think it opened up a lot of doors around the world where a lot of other uh, brewers around the world uh, began to can- consider Canadian barley uh, with two row capability to be, uh, you know, an even better choice than it had been previously. Um, you know, the, some of the, the big brewers in the States, uh, uh, you know, were a lot slower to move in that direction. I know some of them right up until very recently have been using uh, six row, although at least uh, one of the, the big brewers down there, was already into to two row by that point in time, uh, you know, in their own um, relationships with the farmers. But, uh, you know, the, the preference for two row, the preference for great consistency and reliability has been fantastic. And, uh, you know, I, I often, you know, if you look on the AMBA site in the U.S., you see all these Canadian varieties being grown down there. Uh, and so, you know, we, we've penetrated that market. It's kind of like uh, uh, my own background as a New Zealand citizen, too. You see uh, New Zealand apple varieties that are uh, grown and accepted around the world. And uh, and even though those varieties are grown elsewhere, um, you often pick up uh, a, an apple uh, on a shelf even here in Saskatoon that comes from New Zealand. It's just that little bit better. And I think Canadian barley is a bit that way, too, even though it's grown in some other places. Um, you pick it up uh, as a brewer and, and it's really good quality and consistently reliable and, and stuff like that. So I think the breeders and the farmers of Canada have done well over a long period of time leading us to that. And, you know, the barley breeding history, you know, if you read the stories of, uh, of Zabbitts uh, back in the 1880s at the uh, University of Guelph for the old Ontario Agriculture College with OAC 21, and, and you think of... Uh, the life of uh, Dr. Harrington, uh, you know, as he um, migrated around and farmed and, and got into breeding full time. Some of those things are amazing. The efforts uh, that have 
people put in uh, the breeders and the farmers to support uh, uh, us brewers. I think it's fantastic. And, and the acceptance of, uh, of Canadian barley is reliable and high quality by brewers right around the world. Come back and hopefully continue to support uh, the breeders and the farmers here into the future. Yeah. And you know, we, in our first, uh, first season of the podcast, I talked to Dr. Aaron Beattie with the University of Saskatchewan's Crop Development Centre. And so, you know, he's uh, carrying on the great work that's been done there. And we've got other, uh, other um, breeders like uh, Dr. Anna Badea and, uh, and breeders at the Field Crop Development Centre with uh, Westbred and uh, so many, so many that are investing in, in barley. It, uh, it's uh, really exciting to see the continued development. One, one of the challenges we have, of course, is uh, in the, the uptake of the newer varieties. So we've been reliant on AC, on AC Metcalf and CDC Copeland for a, for a long time. And it's uh, exciting to see right now we're in that transition period into some, some newer varieties that are becoming of interest uh, you know, with, uh, with monsters and brewers domestically, as well as internationally. You get the varieties like uh, CDC Fraser, CDC Bow, AAC Connect, uh, CDC, or sorry, uh, AAC Synergy um, come to mind. Uh, and uh, there's there are newer ones coming too, so it's uh, it's good to see. Yeah, it's it's uh, I know uh, I've often been in conversations about this, and I think you know by and large a lot of the the Canadian uh, brewing industry has been quite supportive of uh, new varieties, realizing that uh, you know it, it works for the farmers and and for the uh, brewers uh, both. Uh, you know, I think uh, some of the slowness is is often. Uh, that a lot of the international brewers are maybe a bit more um, uh, conservative, a bit more needing convincing uh, to make a change when they're when they're getting uh, a variety that <laughs> that's working well for them. And yeah. uh, you know, uh, we often talk about uh, you know fast turnaround of new varieties and things like that. And I kind of smile and think like, you know, Harrington had you know what a 25, 30 year run. Sort yeah. of thing. <laughs> And OAC 21 before that probably had a 50, 60 year run. <laughs> yeah, it's good to certainly on the farmer side to be able to you know, continue to have it be competitive in their crop basket to be able to continue to advance yield and have uh, better disease resistance. Um, but obviously, uh, good to have that end use market for it. And so you don't want to be jumping varieties every two, three, four years, but um you know, something that's reasonably consistent and works for farmers, works for maltsters and brewers. I think uh, there's uh, some room to come together on on that. Yeah, I think one of the tricky parts of the balance is that, uh, you know, a lot of brewers would would prefer to see, um, you know, perhaps a, a blend of one that's been reliable with a new one to get used to it. And, and yeah. you know, that, that, that mental concern uh, sort of thing. And... Uh, you know, uh, it means that even when something is fantastically attractive uh, to the farmers in the, in the field, um, you know, we, we, we somehow have to moderate how fast we go into it because there will be that, that uh, overlap that's kind of desired because if, uh, if people do have uh, uh, some problems, uh, you know, and it shows up in the beer, then, then, you know things get really dicey and you know uh there has been 
varieties in Canada and around the world at times that have shown really well, shown really well. And then, you know, the weather comes along or uh, that we haven't seen in 10 years or whatever, 15 or 20 years. And uh, this particular variety may not like that weather, whereas an older variety could chug through it uh, sort of thing. So, you know, there, there's a learning uh, phase for, for the farmers as well as the brewers. And uh, it's, it's always hard to, to find a way to, uh, to test something against every possible combination that might get thrown at it out there in the wild world of the fields. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really hard to, we do a lot of testing to get uh, varieties to market, uh, but there's, there's always something. So that's, uh, it's just the way it is. And uh, I expect uh, we'll see some interesting results this year. Uh, we're, you know, pretty severe drought. Uh, haven't seen anything quite like this since uh, about 2002. So it'll be interesting to see how some of these newer varieties respond. Yeah. The, the mention of 2002 is kind of a nasty word for us old brewers. Yeah. <laughs> So in, uh, in some of our earlier discussions, Keith, uh, you've talked about some of the, the travels and moves you've had across Canada. You mentioned Newfoundland, Toronto. Um, I think uh, Vancouver Island maybe didn't come up in their discussion today, but uh, earlier ones. And you're relatively new in Saskatchewan. So do you, you want to just, uh, just tell our listeners about how you came to be in Saskatoon and some of the, some of the things you've seen? Yeah, so uh, my wife and I moved to uh, Saskatoon. I guess we arrived here at uh, the beginning of May uh, a year ago. So it hasn't been quite a a year and a half that we've been here yet. Um, But uh, uh, it was a really great opportunity. Uh, You know, I've seen uh, and often thought there's there's great ongoing potential with uh, Great Western Brewery here. And uh, they've, they've continued to try to do a lot of good things over, over time. And I thought I could, I could be part of helping that uh, evolution uh, forward. And, and, and so it was a great opportunity. Um, I haven't spent a lot of time uh, in, in Saskatchewan as a whole. Um, uh, you know, I can remember a midnight flight uh, hopping a fence and, Regina and uh, flying out of there in a small plane when my brother uh, was down celebrating his uh, graduation from the RCMP many, 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 many years back. Yep. Um, and things like that. Uh, I, my my uh, father's family is a farming family from around Fergus and Guelph in Ontario. And they've been there, you know, for a couple hundred years. And uh, my mother's family... Uh, um, uh, she was born and raised in Lake of the Woods. Uh, uh, her family goes back to being United Empire Loyalists and things like that. So they've been around a long time. And I was born in a little village of 700 people in Ontario. And, uh, you know, I headed to uh, the Northwest Territories to uh, work and make some money for university and ended up uh, going to university in Edmonton. Uh, did most of my university there. Um, I worked in a lot of different parts of the Northwest Territories and just about every corner of Alberta growing up. And, and uh, my wife and I have lived, uh, you mentioned Vancouver Island. We lived Vancouver, Vancouver Island, St. John's, Newfoundland. We've lived uh, together in Alberta, and Ontario. Um, 
Uh, we also spent a decade uh, in the South Island, New Zealand, good barley growing country there as well, working in breweries uh, over my life. And there's some that are quite small up to some that are quite large. And, uh, you know, yeah, when we came back to Canada with, uh, with the kids, uh, we had an opportunity when our daughter turned 16 and our son was 14 to uh, take quite a bit of time and travel across Canada with them and the family dog. And uh, it was a bit of a trip. Our, our daughter broke her collarbone playing rugby just before we did the trip. So, and the truck, it was a standard transmission. So she wanted to drive, but it wasn't the easiest, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, our dog ended up uh, uh, b- being in every province of Canada in our travels. And uh, our kids went to uh, university in BC, Alberta and Ontario to some degree. And, and uh, so we've been, yeah, pretty much coast to coast from St. John's to Vancouver Island and, and me up in the territories. Yeah. I think you're, you're close to living in more places in Canada than I've been to. Yeah. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a great country and a, you know, great, great place to, to travel around. And, uh, you know, certainly, um, sometimes it's, it's cheaper to go outside the country, which is one of the most unfortunate things I think that exists in the universe. But, um, yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. I appreciate you sharing that. That's uh, a lot of different places you've uh, seen and experienced, and appreciate uh, also to be able to draw on those experiences in our in our discussion today. We're talking about Newfoundland and and uh, Toronto, where they've got so many different opportunities and uh, different uses of barley that we're not seeing here in the West. Yeah, you know, I think. Uh, um, Toronto, you'd still probably have to search it out a little bit, but, you know, um, you know, uh, I, I can't say too much in, in recent years out, you know, outside of that Toronto, Ontario, uh, uh, territory, uh, what it might be like for, for accessing barley. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's great opportunity here for us to, to re-engage people with barley. And, uh, you know, I think uh, a lot of fun and I think it'd be good, for all of us, I think uh, the more people relate to barley and to malt, uh, the better it does for beer, and and hopefully that would encourage uh, uh, more more brewers to look at uh, barley and malt as an essential. I know a lot of brewers have have uh, slipped into using huge quantities of uh, of uh, corn and rice syrups, and uh, uh, you know I think uh, barley is the, the basis, the foundation, the heart, and of, of beer and uh, uh, love it. Excellent. Glad to hear. So I've got uh, one more question for you, Keith. Why is barley a good choice for consumers? Well, I think it's got a history and a provenance that uh, that's, you know, like you mentioned up front, it, it, it is certainly, if not the very first uh, grain ever grown, it's, it's one of the first and, uh, you know, uh, the archaeologists uh, dig it up uh, find it uh, quite common 23,000 years ago in the Middle East, 17,000 years ago in Sri Lanka. It's been with us for a long time. And, uh, you know, I, I, so people don't enjoy something for, for those many thousand years unless it's, it's good. And so it's a, you know, I think it's really respected globally for nutrition and flavor. You know, people may spice it a bit different here and there, and that's all great. But, uh, you know, here here in Saskatchewan, here in Western Canada, it's a locally grown crop. Uh, 
you know, it's, it's one of those crops that can handle some of the things that, uh, um, other crops may not always be able to handle as far as, uh, as, uh, winter weathers and, and dry weather and, and things like that. So it's, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not totally dependent upon, uh, vast amounts of irrigation, like, uh, rice tends to be and, uh, and things like that. So it's got, you know, excellent environmental attributes is probably part of why people have enjoyed it for thousands of years. It, it grows from Iceland and, and Scandinavia, you know, uh, to South Africa and, and the, you know, Australia, uh, you know, it's, it can be exotic if you want to term it that way. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's not just, um, you know, kind of the, the, the halo of healthiness. It's actually certified as a healthy food choice. It's, uh, you know, it's good for cholesterol and blood pressure control. It's good, good for intestinal health enhancement, uh, uh, it's got a lot of uh, nutrition in it, and I think it tastes better than a lot of the alternatives. It certainly tastes a lot better than brown rice and quinoa, in my mind. Uh, and it, it just goes so well with so many different uh, uh, spices and herbs, different fruits and vegetables, different meats. It blends well with almost anything. And, uh, you know, I often I often laugh because the, the terminology is sometimes buried there. You know, people... Oh, I had this neat pasta. It's orzo pasta. Yeah, that means barley. So instead of cooking barley, you actually made pasta to look like barley, so you call it pasta, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and things like that. But uh, you know, yeah, the the barley terminology is so many languages people have heard. Maybe of horchata drinks in Mexico and the Mexican. Uh, again, that that's barley. Hordeum or horchata. It's it's barley. That's where yeah. it's supposed to have come from. And uh, and uh, yeah, there, there's uh, you know even even when somebody goes and says the word barn, do they realize that that is actually a combination of two words that mean barley house? <laughs> That's what a barn means. So it's it's in our languages, it's in our cooking and and food cultures. And uh, you know the more we get back to enjoying it, uh, the better off we'll all be. Well, thank you so much, Keith, for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for asking me along. And uh, I hope uh, that everybody uh, gets the, something out of this summer. Although, uh, you know, I feel for people that have been really hit by the, the hardest part of the drought. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, growing up with uh, all my uh, father's side of the family on the farms, I know it's, it's not an easy uh, thing year in, year out. So, um Hopefully you can enjoy a beer at the end of, uh, of, of the harvest and, uh, and be able to recover something there. Uh, and hopefully somebody get, get a good crop too. And uh, to our listeners, if you've liked what you've heard here, rate the podcast, tell a friend and subscribe. Sass Barley will be bringing you back to the barley bin next episode to hop in and get itchy. <laughs>